Would you please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 11? Romans 11, we'll be finishing up this section of our study in the book of Romans. And this is not the most popular section in Romans. There have been verses that are challenging to our understanding, maybe even for some challenging to their faith that we come across in these three chapters. And we're going to find a a doxology, if you will, a, a benediction really at the end of, these, of chapter 11, but we want to take one more time to look at this opportunity when the Apostle Paul is led to instruct them on God's plan for the Jew and the Gentile and how to move forward with that. I had opportunity to take vacation this past summer to Mackinac Island, and it was fun to go and be with family and ride bikes and just kind of unplug for a few days. We did have some family that came from Minnesota uh, to Mackinac Island for the first time, and they were really pleased, and they've got little kids, so they love seeing the horses and love seeing all the, uh, the stuff that's there that's very unique. And as we were there one night as a family, we decided to meet on Main Street for, um, for dinner. And as we got together on Main Street, we had been out doing things, and my hair was just a mess that day. Uh, don't judge me too hard. But uh, my hair was just a mess. And so as we were sitting, waiting for a table in the restaurant, sitting on the covered porch, there was glass behind me. And so I decided to turn around and check my hair in that glass. And that's exactly what I did. I turned around in my seat and I could see my reflection. And so I was kind of straightening my hair and fixing it this way just for about a few seconds. And then my focus of my vision changed from looking at my hair and what I was doing to looking just past the glass. What I did not realize was that there was someone seated having a meal just on the other side of that glass. And I opened my, when I I was able to focus, I saw a young lady and her eyes were big like this and she was staring at me and she was wondering why I was looking at her and doing this (laughs) the whole time. My focus was right for me for a little while And then it got in the wrong place. I think that that illustration applies so much to the church that Jesus Christ has given us. God wants us to make sure that we always have one thing specifically in our main focus. And it's not that there won't be dozens, even hundreds of other things that will compete for our attention But what we will see is that we'll have a healthy church if we don't allow anything to distract us from the central figure of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here in this church a couple thousand years ago. They had Christ, yes. They understood salvation, yes. But many of them were being very, very uh, zoned in just on whether they were a Gentile or whether they were a Jew. And God's plan does not center on the Jews. God's plan does not center on the Gentiles, but instead God's plan for all humanity who will come to him centers on the cross of Jesus Christ. And nothing needs to be talked about more than this among God's followers. Nothing needs to be emphasized more than this. 
And so as we turn to Romans chapter 11, we began this section, chapters 9, 10, and 11, with a question. It's a very appropriate question, and that question is, is God trustworthy? Have you ever asked that question out loud? That's one of those that we don't say out loud, but we kind of wonder, can I really trust all of this that God has said? And the reason we ask that question when it comes to Jews and Gentiles was because we examine the promises that God made to the Jewish people, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to David. And from someone just reading the Old Testament scriptures and then looking at what God has in the church today, it might appear that God didn't keep those promises. Well, we have learned that God has kept his promises And the reason why it's so important for us to get to that conclusion is because if God did not keep his promises a few years ago, then can we have confidence that he'll keep his promises this day? The answer is yes. We can have confidence that God keeps his promises to us. This chapter is divided into three different sections that we'll look at. And the first one is is in verses 1 through 10, and we're going to talk about the remnant of Israel. The remnant of Israel. So in this church, a mix of Gentiles mostly and some Jews, Paul is first going to talk about the remnant of Israel. There was confusion about God's plan for Israel. Some, maybe like some of you, are thinking, what in the world does God have planned for these people that we see so much about? And as we saw in chapter 9, we get so much from. We get... The scriptures, we get the law, we get the Messiah from the people of Israel. And so, what is God's plan for them? And right off the bat, Paul gives us two illustrations. And I love illustrations. I know most of you do as well. He gives the first illustration in the first verse. Look at verse 1 of Romans 11 with me. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, or no way, Jose. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he's going to give two illustrations that shows what God's plan for Israel is, and that God has not rejected Israel. And illustration number one is the Apostle Paul himself. He started out as one who opposed the church. He did not want them to have success. And as a Jew, a Jew of Jews, God knocked him off his high horse one day and showed him that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so Paul is illustration number one. And then illustration number two we find in the next few verses, and that is Elijah. When we look at Elijah and we look at how God used him, this is a familiar character if you're familiar with the Old Testament. If you're not familiar, let me tell you a little bit about him and specifically one instance in his life. Elijah was a prophet of God. He was incredibly used by God. And then we see Elijah finally coming to what might be the most famous story about him in the scriptures, and that is when Elijah had this duel with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. 
And as Elijah confronts King Ahab, a wicked king over Israel, and he says, you know what? I need you to meet me on top of Mount Carmel. We're going to have a duel, and we're going to see who the real God is. And so these 500 prophets of Baal join there, and in the competition, they were trying to call down fire from heaven to, um, to burn up the sacrifice that was given. If you're familiar with the story, you remember that the prophets of Baal went first, and they could not get fire to come down from heaven. They had no success. And then it's Elijah's turn. And then really it's God's turn. God is going to show His incredible power at this time. God does send fire down from heaven. It burns up the animal sacrifice. It burns up all of the altar. And not only that, but those false prophets are then killed at that point. This is one of the most famous stories about Elijah. But I need to fast forward just a little bit to get to Paul's point. Because Paul, I mean, I mean uh, Elijah at that point should have been riding high, right? I mean, God just answered prayer, showed his power through fire, and then the false prophets had been killed. And yet the next day, that wicked queen, do you remember her name? Wicked queen Jezebel, she said, you will be dead just like those other prophets of Baal. And when he should have been riding high on what God had just done, we find instead Elijah runs for his life. And he hides. He hides in a cave, afraid for his life. And I don't want to be too hard on Elijah. I can't imagine going through what he went through. But one of the biggest areas of discouragement for him was the area of loneliness. And I think the devil uses that area of loneliness very much so today to discourage us. So imagine Elijah in the cave, hiding for his life, probably weeping. And as he is there, God speaks to him and they have a back and forth. Let me tell you a summary of what Elijah said to God, which the Apostle Paul gives us in Romans chapter 11. A summary of what Elijah said is, is, I am all alone. There is nobody with me I'm all by myself, and I cannot take this being by myself. And God supernaturally informs Elijah at that point, you are not alone. Not only did Elijah have God's presence with him, which he would always have, but more than that, Elijah had, unbeknownst to him, 7,000 men who had not yet bowed the knee to Baal. And that, in other words, they're saying these were ones who were wanting to follow the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 7,000 that God had kept there. And we find the exact same thing going on with the church in, in Rome because while some might have felt that God is done with the Jews, that there's not hardly anything going on, Paul makes this point. There is always a remnant. In God's plan, He is not only not done with 
the Jews, but there is always a remnant chosen by God. Look at verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so we understand that God has too much invested to simply wash his hands of Israel. He has used them. He's currently using them on a much smaller scale, and he has plans for them in the future. So the first few verses talk about the remnant of Israel. And then starting in verse 11, we find out God's plan of including the Gentiles. And this is a very colorful section, and it helps us to understand how you, which I think probably most of us here today, if not all, are Gentiles, how we made it into God's plan, the plan that he previously had just for the Jews. Now, Paul uses some very colorful, descriptive words in these next few, next few verses that make it obvious, obvious that there's something wrong with the Jews. He makes it obvious. Look at verse number 11 at the two words, their trespass. And then look at verse 12, where it says, their failure. And then let your eyes fall on verse 15, where it talks about Israel and it says their rejection. Obviously, something is wrong with Israel. Their rejection, their failure, their trespass. And so a key question for us to ask is this question. Is this rejection total? Is that rejection permanent? It's not a bad question to ask. The answer is no, that rejection is not total, is not permanent, in at least two different ways. One way is that what we just said, God always has a remnant that, that are following Him of the Jewish people. And the other way that it is not total is that it is for a temporary time. And we'll see that. There is a temporary rejection going on while this is happening. A temporary rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But this is one of the most exciting parts for you and for me. Because even though the Jewish people had a time where they were rejecting Christ as the Messiah, as the Messiah at the exact same time, something amazing is going on in God's plan. At the exact same time, what's happening is the riches of God are being made available to every other people group in the world. Everyone else is allowed to get in on the riches and the blessings of God. Let me share with you a uh, a story. It's not a true story, but I couldn't help but plug in this funny story because I think it helps us with how we see this, this in God's plan in the church and in our day today. There was an old country farmer, and this old country farmer was very handy, good around the farm, good with animals. And yet, this old country farmer had a squirrel get into his cellar. And everything that he tried, he could not get rid of that squirrel. He would lay down at night and he would hear that thing running around in the basement, in the cellar, and he couldn't get rid of it. He tried everything he knew. He tried to set a trap in the basement there with some bait, and he couldn't catch that squirrel and get him out. He also tried some poison. I'll, I'll poison that squirrel and I'll kill him so I won't have this problem anymore. And he wasn't able to get rid of him in that way. And so what happens is he can't trap him and he can't 
kill him. And so he says, maybe I can trick this squirrel. Maybe, just maybe, I'm a little bit smarter than this squirrel is. And so he has this great idea of what to do. He goes and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to that area in the cellar where I know that squirrel is, and I'm going to put a few nuts, delicious nuts, right outside that part. And then about three feet down the way, I'll put another nut. And about three feet later, on a path going to the exit from the cellar, he's going to make a trail. And he made a trail right up the stairs, going out the double doors that would open to the cellar. And he was excited about this plan. He thought it was going to solve all of his problems. And so he went to bed that night, just kind of smiling and knowing the next day he'd come downstairs and they would have no problem with that squirrel in his basement. Well, next morning he comes downstairs and, and as he goes and as he looks, he's got a basement full of squirrels because all of them on the outside had come down into the basement. They followed that trail the opposite way. Now, that cute story isn't a perfect illustration, but it helps us understand just a little bit that when the Jews, God's chosen people, had stopped walking through that door for a time, that door was left open. And wide open when that door was left, others from the world could walk through that door and enjoy the riches of God. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, and you're a Gentile, you've been able to walk the opposite way through that door to experience what God has for you. I hope and I pray that's your situation today. Ironically, when they walked out, they left the door wide open for the outsiders to come in. Now, as you look at verse 12 there, let me explain that just for a moment. If when most of the Jews are rejecting Christ as Messiah, we find God opening the invitation to the rest of the world, well, I've just told you, that's incredible enough. That is a testimony of God's greatness enough that the door's been left open for people to come the other way. But how much greater will it be when those people that are God's chosen people, the Jews, when God brings them back to the forefront of his plan. And so here we see what God is going to do to bring the rest of the world into his plan. And then Paul uses another illustration. Don't you love illustrations? Some of you have had opportunity to take some vacations and do some traveling, and possibly you've had opportunity to get some souvenirs. Sometimes souvenirs are something that is burned in your memory and something that's got a good, it just brings a good feeling. Sometimes souvenirs are, are a waste of money and you don't use them at all or you get rid of them or they take up space on a shelf. I've got some souvenirs here from the first time that I went to Israel a few years ago. And this is a little set that you can buy. And these are three little uh, jars. I know you can't see these very closely, but I'm going to explain to you what's in these jars that I brought home as a souvenir. In this first jar here, you can maybe some of you up close can see some liquid that's in there. That's a clear liquid. And this is a souvenir from the Holy Lands. This is water from the Jordan River, the river where John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ and uh, where many people have been, have been baptized since. And it's kind of a sweet thing to have um, water from the Jordan River. 
This next jar is dark brown, and it's not liquid, but it's uh, something that moves. It's some dirt in there. This is some dirt from the Holy Lands. If you want to let your mind go, you could possibly even say that maybe Jesus' feet touched this dirt. Likely not, but maybe. It's kind of neat to have some dirt from the Holy Lands where all that took place. And then this last one is a liquid, and it's a little more yellowish in color, and it's a little bit thicker. This is something that is very specific to uh, Israel in the Middle East. Does anybody see that color in that? and might be able to guess what this is. This is actually olive oil. This is olive oil. They can pick three things to put in this souvenir pack, and they picked water from the Jordan River. I get it. They picked dirt from the holy lands where Jesus walked. I get it. And then... They choose olive oil. Why olive oil? What's the purpose behind that? Well, did you know that olive trees can live for hundreds and hundreds of years? But if an olive tree is living for hundreds of years and yet is not producing olives, well, then it's no good. And so what a common practice with the olive trees is, is this. If an old olive tree has a branch that produces olives and then that branch stops producing olives, what they will do is they will lop that branch off. They'll get rid of it. If it's not producing olives, there's no point in having it on the tree. Now, we're not surprised by that, but what is interesting is it's a common practice with those olive trees for them to bore a hole into the trunk of that tree and take a branch, a healthy branch from a younger tree, and take that and to graft it into that olive tree so that it can be part of this incredible tree that produces olives and produces olive oil. When we look at this picture of the Gentiles and the Jews, this is the illustration that Paul gives next. Look at verse 17 of Romans 11. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Can you see the picture he's giving there? It is easy for us to get arrogant to get puffed up in our mind about something that is not the main thing. And for them, it's Jesus Christ. Some of them were getting too concerned about how God was using, using the Gentiles in their day. Some others were a little bit too braggish about God's chosen people, the Jews. And that's why he says in verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. For us today, you and I, because of God's love and God's plan, have been grafted in. And so it's not about the Gentiles, and it's not about the Jews. But instead, what we have to keep in the forefront of our mind, we have to focus constantly on, is it is about Christ. Now let me, in just a couple minutes, give you a theological debate that goes on um, that really we get a lot of help with from Romans chapter 11. And this debate is something called replacement theology. How many of you have ever heard of replacement theology? Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few. Replacement theology is the idea that the church today has taken the place of the children of Israel. 
or the Jews. And so no more are there promises or covenants meant for the Jews, but the church has taken that over. And those are all going to be for the church today. And that is a a horrible misinterpretation of the scriptures. The view that Israel and the church are different is taught in both the Old Testament and the New. In Romans chapter 9, we saw God's plan in the history of Israel. We got the covenants, we got the patriarchs, we got the Messiah. In Romans chapter 10, we see God's plan for the present in Israel. They can become saved the same way the Gentiles become saved. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now in Romans chapter 11, we find God's plan for his chosen people in the future. Now, let me talk about the church for a moment to address this false teaching of replacement theology. The church began on the day of Pentecost, and it began with all Jewish people. But then God started to open up the church to more than just Jews, but to the Gentiles. And we're going to read a verse here in just a moment that talks about the end of that opening up for salvation. But I want to start with the beginning. Because when it was all Jews that were followers of Jesus Christ, right in the beginning, God changed the plan. And God had a plan for one man to be the first Gentile that would be grafted in to his family of believers. Maybe some of you remember from our study in the book of Acts who that man was. Peter was told, I want you to go and I want you to preach to a man. And his name was, do you remember? It was Cornelius. Cornelius was the number one Gentile that got into the family of God. Now, what we believe here at Calvary is commonly called premillennialism. That means that the rapture is going to come and take all of God's followers up with him. And then after the rapture, God is going to restore Israel. This is Israel's future. God is going to restore Israel, and they will be primary again. Right now, they are not primary in His plan. But the Jewish people will be primary again. Now, after that rapture, the first event that takes place is the seven-year tribulation. Following that tribulation, we're going to find the millennium taking place. Some of our men are studying uh, the end times, I believe, Revelation on Monday nights. They're familiar with this. And so, while God may be focusing primarily on this present day with His church during this, here's a good phrase to write down, during this age of grace, that's where we're in right now, an age of grace. Even though He focuses primarily now on the church, He will again bring Israel back to the center of His plan. Look at verse 25 of Romans 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I want to focus on that word fullness just for a moment. We started with Cornelius, the very first of the Gentiles that would turn to Christ. That word fullness is interpreted or it's, it's given in a couple different ways. Go ahead and look at your Bible and there's probably some different versions represented in the room. How many of you, um, it's that word in verse 25 is interpreted fullness. Raise your hand if you have the word fullness in your Bible. Okay, 
Well, it looks like about half. How many of you have something like the full number? Raise your hand if you have something like the full number. Okay, full number. Okay, I see a few. You can interpret it either way, but that idea of full number is going to give us a picture of when God is done with bringing people into his family. The idea there is there is a specific number that God knows of how many Gentiles will be saved. Number one was Cornelius. Who's going to be the final one? Who might be that last individual that responds to the offer of salvation by grace from the group of Gentiles? Well, can I suggest today that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a possibility it might be you. And so why don't you do the rest of us a favor and go ahead and accept Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation, and then we can get out of this place. The rapture will be coming. And of course, we recognize God's providence in all of this. And then finally, and much more quickly, we find the mystery of Israel's salvation. The mystery of Israel's salvation. Look at verses 30 and 31. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. You see what's going on there? If you back up in the Old Testament, you will find that the people of Israel were to be a light that could point other people to the one true God. And in today's age of grace, the church is to be a light that's supposed to point the Jewish people to the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. All right, what can we do with this? There are some passages of Scripture, and I'm talking about chapters 9, 10, and 11, where God gives us His plan for the Jews and the Gentiles, and now He makes salvation available to all men. God gives us the details of His plan, and as I study through this, all I can do is stand back and say, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto me. Behold your God. And Paul does a good job with this. And I want us to read it together. I think we've got it on the screen so we can read from the same version. We'll read verses 33 through 36 to close our time together. Would you read this out loud with me? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we praise you for your ways being so much greater and beyond our ways. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you are good and that your love has been shown to man through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to ask you this morning to pray. While the piano plays through softly, I'll give you a couple topics you might pray about. 
First of all, you might say, I've never accepted that gift of salvation. Never accepted Christ as my Savior. Asked Him for forgiveness and had Him make me His daughter or His son. You can pray right now and ask God to make you His child. For others that are here, is there something out of priority for you? Something that is not allowing Jesus to be the main thing. It's not that Jesus isn't there and isn't present, but it just doesn't get talked about or thought about as much. Take just a moment, talk to your God. And if you have Christ in the center, just take a moment to praise him. Amen. Amen.